Welcome to the Semper Reformato Podcast, spreading the word and contending for the faith. We turn again to the book of Ephesians, chapter 2. So the verse that I particularly want to think about this evening is verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. To talk about the work of God and the work of God in us. Biblical text, of course, is inspired. It's the inspired and infallible and inerrant word of God. But the chapters and the verses that divide up the various books of the Bible are entirely man-made. They are inserted into the text purely to help us to read and find the passages that we want. Can you imagine the alternative? It would be chaos. So last time we met, when we read verse 8 and 9, I included the first line of verse 10. Because in one sense, that is exactly where it belongs. Verse 10 begins with the word for, just like verse 8 does. And in verse 8 to 9, Paul has established the fact that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, which is God's gift alone, so that we can't claim any merit, so that we can't claim any credit whatsoever for our salvation. We are his workmanship. It's the conclusion of Paul's thoughts there. God is working in us. He is working in us, rescuing us from our sins. But it's as if Paul reaches this point, and then he says, but we must go on, because the work of God in us is not purely confined to our rescue. It is more than that. He continues to work in us. He continues to work in us, preparing us for heaven. He continues to work in us, sanctifying us. He continues to work in us, separating us more and more from the world around us. He continues to work in us, making us more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And we, in gratitude for the amazing rescue that we have experienced in him, we cooperate out of gratitude in what the Lord has done for us. So in this study, we will look at how God works and how he works in us. For we are his workmanship. You're listening to the Semper Reformata podcast with Bob McAvoy. The very fact that we are his workmanship implies that God is working, doesn't it? That he is a worker, that he works. 
The statement is that we are the end product of God's labor. And that obviously implies that God is doing something, that he is working. And I suppose the most obvious illustration of this in the Bible is that God is very often likened to a potter working in clay. Isaiah 64 and verse 8 says, But now, O Lord, thou art our father. We are the clay, and thou art potter, and we are all the work of thy hand. Well, when we work, we work for to earn a living, don't we, most of us? Needless to say, God doesn't have to work the way that we have to work. God is sovereign. He is the creator God, the creator of the universe. He could simply dwell in glorious serenity. But God's nature is such that he works. His nature motivates his work. So God's work is creative. He created the world. He created the universe. He created it out of nothing. He made mankind the very pinnacle of his creation out of dust. And we're told in the Bible that when he had finished his creation, he rested from his work, Genesis 2 and 2. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had made, and rested on the Sabbath day and the seventh day from all his work, which he had made. So God works in creation, and he works in redemption. Having created us, he redeems us as he works in saving sinners, both in his redemptive act at Calvary and, as we have seen, in our individual lives as we are regenerated. Galatians 4 and 4. When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law. That was his work. God's work is creative and it is redemptive and it is a work of providence. He provides for the whole of the universe. He sustains it by his power. Why do the planets not simply fall out of orbit? Because God has ordained their paths. Wonderful what children say these days. Our grandson Jude was staying with us on Friday morning and he asks very hard questions. He says, Granda, what do you know about gravity? <laughs> I don't know anything about gravity. I just know that it works. It's because the Lord has ordained it so. Martin Luther said, God's wonderful works, which happen daily, are lightly esteemed. Not because they are of no importance, but because they happen so constantly and without interruption. Man is used to the miracle that God rules the world and upholds all creation. And because things daily run their appointed course, it seems insignificant. And no man thinks it worth his while to meditate upon it and to regard it as God's wonderful work. And yet it is a greater wonder than that Christ fed 5,000 men with five loaves and made wine from water. He does this through Christ his Son. Hebrews says, talking about him, who being the brightness of his glory 
and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power. God's work is providential. God's work is judicial. He is the final court of appeal. It is God who is the arbiter of all truth and justice. It will, go, it will be God who will judge the world and everyone in it. It is God who maintains justice. Psalm 140 verse 12 says, I know that the Lord will maintain the cause of the afflicted and the right of the poor. So ultimately justice stems from the work of God. God's work is creative and redemptive and providential and judicial and compassionate. And we must be careful because the modern visible church has this curiously self-centered view of God. I found a quote and I can't find who said it. So apologies if it was you. The quote says, we want, in fact, not so much as a father in heaven as our grandfather in heaven. What we want nowadays is a senile benevolence who, as they say, like to see young people enjoying themselves and whose plan for the universe was simply that it might be truly said at the end of each day that a good time was had by all. That is perfectly what modern man wants from God. So without thinking that God exists purely to bless me and to do me good and to make me comfortable, let us remember that the God whom we serve is favorably disposed towards us. He is the God who wants to do good to his people and in a less specific sense wants to do good to his whole creation. We call that his common grace. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God and to those who are the called according to his purpose. So God is a worker. His work is creative and redemptive. He upholds all things in his providence. He brings justice to the world and ultimately will judge the world and his work is to be compassionate, a loving father to those who are his and to do good to his creation. So God works. And because we bear the image of God, we are to work also. When God created the world, he placed our first parents into a garden. It was a place of plenty. It was a horticultural paradise with no weeds, no need to mow the lawn. At our new house, the builder was asked by me specifically as a really important factor of purchase. I had asked them, I want the, the lawn sown out at least three weeks before we move in. And the reason that I want that done is because we own a dog, a dachshund. If you know anything about dachshunds, you'll know that they love digging. It's what they do. They, they search. They were bred to search for badgers and bunnies. and They dig like mad. Of course, the 
the lawn was sown out the day before we got the key. So we now have a back garden that's full of holes. Grass not growing in them. Wouldn't have mattered anyway if you had dug holes even if there was grass on. No bother with that in Eden. No lawn mowing. No pests, no insects to annoy things. No dachshunds to dig holes. No need for fertilizer, smelly manure. No hindrances to food production or growth. It was the perfect environment. Adam and Eve could simply have sat back and enjoyed the good life. They could have lived off the fruit of the land, spending the largesse of the God who had created them, living off the ultimate form of universal basic income, except that they were made in the image of God. And God works And Adam was created in the image of God to work. His job was to tend the garden, to care for it, to name and to categorize the various species. He was a skilled horticulturalist, a farmer, a zoologist. Genesis 2 and 15. The Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to address it and to keep it. So work is not a result of the fall. It's what we were made for. It's a creation ordinance, as is marriage. It is what we were made for. It is something that our loving creator intends for our good. So God works. And because God works, we are to work also. So go out to your work tomorrow and remember that instead of it being a toil or an inconvenience or just something that you do to earn a few pounds, you are actually, when you are working, whatever you work at, you are fulfilling your vocation and you are doing what God created you to do. God works in us. And he works in us through his Son. Paul goes on here. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, unto good works. So we are created to do things which are good. I sometimes get annoyed when people talk about good living people. And I react very badly. Somebody would say to you, you're one of these good living folks. And my reaction to that is I'm nothing of the sort. I'm a miserable sinner. Nothing good about me. I was saved by God out of his grace alone. If it wasn't for Christ coming to the cross and rescuing me, I would be uh, in the deepest depths of hell because of my sin. Nothing good about me. But Paul's language here is very specific. We are created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Our conversion ought to result in what we do being changed. Paul's emphasizing again, as he does over and over in Ephesians, that any goodness that we have, that any good works that we do, are not able to save us or make us acceptable to God. They fall far short of his righteousness. It is only the work of Christ 
that is truly righteous. Not our works. Only by Christ's death could God's justice be satisfied. In him, the righteous demands of God's law were perfectly and completely fulfilled for us. So what he did was that he took away the dreadful wages that we had earned, the wages of sin, his death, and replaced it with the gift of God, which is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So the reason for our creation and our redemption is that we might do good works. We might have changed lives. Good works cannot save us, but we might live a life that emulates Christ out of gratitude for his saving work in us. So we're created for good works in Christ. And what are these good works? What are these good works that are to characterize the Christian life? Well, there's a wrong view and a right view, as there always is. A wrong view of good works could be someone who thinks that in order to do good works, you have to be a super Christian. That you have to go out over all the world and do wonderful miracles and, 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 and be a missionary, be a pastor, be, you know, that you have to enter some kind of vocational calling. Or on the other hand, that you might have to give all your possessions away and go into a monastery or live like a hermit. That was the view of good works that brought about the monastic system, trying to devote one's entire life to the service of God. It's futile. There's a biblical view of good works that result out of gratitude for our salvation. Having warned us that good works do not save us. Paul tells us here that to do good works is why we were converted. And then in Ephesians chapter 4, 5 and 6, and we'll see this eventually. He goes on to outline what those good works actually are. And they're very simple. Because when Paul goes on to tell the Ephesians what is the practical outcome of their salvation, the way that Christians live, he doesn't tell them to become super apostles or to go into a monastery. He tells them to be a good church member. Play your part. Be a good husband, a loving husband to your wife. Be a good wife, a loving wife to your husband. Be a good parent to your children. Be an obedient child. Be a good and considerate boss. Be a, 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 a good employee working as if you are working for the Lord. Just let everyone see that whatever you're doing in your everyday life, that you're doing it for the Lord Jesus. So in Galatians 6 and 10, he says, As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Just your ordinary everyday life. Want to do good works? Out of gratitude for what the Lord has done for you, live for him every single day of your life. 
Doing good works doesn't mean to shut yourself off from the world. It doesn't mean to be a Christian superhero. It is to live your everyday life humbly and in a manner that is pleasing to the Lord as a grateful response to the forgiveness that we have received in Christ. Here's that wonderful verse from Micah, Micah 6 and verse 8. He has showed thee, O man, what is good. And what doth the Lord require of thee? But to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. God created us, and he redeemed us when we didn't deserve it, so that we would be grateful, so that we would live for him, so that we would please him in our lives. We won't reach perfection in this world. We will make mistakes. Sometimes temptation will get the better of of us, but we will look honestly at ourselves and we will consider Christ and we will humbly repent and go on with the Lord's help. So God works. God works in us and he creates this desire within us out of gratitude to do good to others as he has done good to us. And look then and see, lastly, that this new life that we have results in a completely new lifestyle. Because Paul says, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. And one of the things that we have learned from Ephesians is that God will be glorified in his work. He's going to put his workmanship on display, both at the last day and even in this present time, that he will be glorified in our lives. And so how do we do these good works? It's because we have a completely new life and a new way of life. The Christian life is a different path. We walk in different ways. Paul speaks about our walk. The Greek is the usual word for walk, the word peripateo, from the Hebrew meaning a certain walk of life and conduct. And in our case, and in Paul's words here, that walk is to follow the Lord Jesus, to live in him. New life in Christ is not just changing round and doing things differently. It's not just turning over a new life, new leaf. It is a whole new culture, completely different lifestyle. It's a prepared walk. It is God who has ordained that we should walk in this path. It's a piloted walk. Because we don't walk in it alone. We have the indwelling Holy Spirit to be our guide and our counsellor and our comforter as we walk in this path. Galatians 5 and 16. Walk in the Spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So the Holy Spirit steers us and guides us as we walk this walk. It's a pleasurable walk. Don't you love a walk on on a nice evening, on a day like this? And it would be beautiful to go for a walk and along the beach 
very pleasurable. There is no more pleasurable walk. There is no more fulfilling path in life than that of following Christ. Psalm 16, thy wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. What a tremendous walk. It's a productive walk because practically speaking, the Christian life will be a productive life. We'll never cheat our clients or our customers or employees. We'll never shirk from our duties. We'll never think, ah, that'll do rightly. We have a reputation for a Protestant work ethic. Think how good an employee I would be if everything I do, I do it unto the Lord. If I learn that in my work I'm reflecting God's image, the God whose work is perfect, who's able to look at his labor and declare that it's good, that's not a trivial matter. It's a theme right throughout Scripture. Colossians, whatsoever ye do, do it heartily unto the Lord and not unto men. Proverbs, commit thy works unto the Lord and thy thoughts shall be established. Ecclesiastes, I know that there is no good in them, but for a man to rejoice and do good in his life and that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor, it is the gift of God. 1 Corinthians 10 and 31, whether ye eat or drink, whatsoever ye do, do it all to the glory of God. Second Thessalonians 3 and 10. This we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. It is a productive way of life, a productive walk. Peter tells us that it's a peculiar walk. We're peculiar people. Indeed we are. We should be recognisable by our walk, our lifestyle. It should stand out a mile from the rest of secular society. Later in this very same book, in Ephesians 5 and 8, Paul would write, For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And it's a purposeful walk. It will have a predetermined purpose and objective of making us fit for our eternal home in heaven. It will be a result of the sanctifying work of God the Holy Spirit within us, cleansing us, purifying us, making us pleasing to God. Philippians 2 and 13, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. When we walk with the Lord, it's a prepared walk, and a painted walk, and a pleasurable walk, and a productive walk, and a peculiar walk, and a purposeful walk. So God is working. He has always worked right from the very beginning of this universe, right from the creation of the world. He is still working. He's upholding the universe. He is determining nature and upholding it. He's working in us. He's working in our salvation. He's working in our rescue from sin. He's continuing to work. He's molding us and changing us into his likeness. Like the potter, he takes us shapeless, meaningless lumps of clay 
And just as the potter spins the wheel, and just as his hands skillfully do their work, and just as the clay rises out of shapelessness and becomes a jar or a beautiful vase or a drinking vessel, so God is fashioning us. And it is all for his glory. For Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 4 and 7, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast, please help to make it better known by opening the podcast app on your phone or mobile device. Then, search for The Semper Reformata Podcast. Subscribe and give it a 5-star rating. See you next time.